Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim. Welcome to you here in the Worship Center. And if you're watching in Nickel Hall, good morning. We are going to continue our series, uh, Both And. Today, we're going to talk about God's sovereignty and our freedom. So real question, uh, did God choose me or did I choose him? Am I saved because I decided to accept Jesus Christ? Or did he select me to become a believer before time began? I'm running into conflicting Christian teachings that are making it hard for me to reconcile God's sovereignty with the idea of human responsibility and free will. Well, what do you think? How would you answer that? God is sovereign, I am free, yes, no, maybe. This is no small issue. And although it's probably not something um, that you regularly talk about, that is one of the great things about coming to church. I mean, you could be fishing this weekend, but here you are, you're at church, and, and you give yourself the opportunity to think about the bigger questions of life, which are so important. This is not something you probably would talk about around your dinner table. Um, it's not something that's going to help you do your job better necessarily. It's maybe not something you think of is going to help your family work better or solve that problem uh, with your boyfriend or girlfriend. But this question, this, this topic of God's sovereignty and our free will is foundational to our understanding of God. It's foundational to our understanding of how he works, foundational to our understanding of, of who we are and, and what God does in the world and, and how we are responsible to, to all of this as human beings. Sovereignty. Proverbs 16.4, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Free will, Ezekiel 18, but if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed and keeps all my statues and does what is just and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Verse 23, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live. It sounds like free will to me. Sovereignty, Romans 9, verse 18, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Free will, 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, this is regard to second coming, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's waiting for people to make the choice to choose Jesus. You can see that understanding the relationship between God's sovereignty and our free will is, is a little bit complicated and it's more than just quoting a favorite verse or two which is typically what happens on this subject between people of different opinions. And Christians have been divided in both respectful and hostile ways over this issue for centuries. So, yes, this could and probably should be a prolonged series at some point, but we decided that it was worthwhile for us to address in our Both and series over 30 minutes. And so I think I need to pray, and would you join with me in that? God, we come before you this morning, and um, Lord, I thank you how this points us to the complexity and beauty and awesomeness of who you are and your relationship with us. And I'm asking, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak the words uh, through me that you want to be said, and give us um, hearts and ears to hear what you want us to hear, Lord that it would work its way out in our lives in a way that brings glory and honor to you. Amen. 
Let me state my position on the subject. God is sovereign. I am free. God is sovereign. I am free. My point will be that it is neither, it's not either or, but that it is both and. And in fact, we need both to be true. I'm going to start with God's sovereignty. To say that God is sovereign means that he is the supreme ruler. He has all authority. And without external restraint, he controls everything. And we could show so many verses to this extent. Job 42, when he encountered God, he said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. A direct reference to sovereignty. Isaiah 46, remember the former things of old. This is God speaking. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. In the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 1, in him, speaking of Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. I mean, these are some amazing statements or promises about God. And maybe in your own life, I mean, you're familiar with people over-promising and under-delivering, but the scripture lets us know all these things about God that contribute to his ability to make these promises, to make these statements, and to live up to them. The Bible presents God as all-powerful. As creator, we get a glimpse into the magnitude of his incredible power. If you've ever just even walked along a seashore when, when the waves are pounding against the rocks and that, that feeling of awe just in that little slice of creation. And, and if you think about God who created it all, you get a sense that he is all-powerful. Scripture tells us that God is all-knowledgeable. He knows the past, he knows the present, he knows the future, and he knows all things with perfect wisdom. So he not only has raw power, but he has the wisdom and the ability to think his way so that all things will, will work together the way that he designs and plans. The scripture presents God as omnipresent, which means he is in all places. Nothing is hidden from him. His presence is there. And the Bible presents God to us as eternal. He's in all time. These characteristics and abilities have always been within him and always will be. They will not ex expire. They don't end. So there, there's so much more to God, but you get the idea. God is not like your, your nice uncle who, who wants to promise you something but doesn't have the capacity to deliver on it. God is fully capable of carrying out whatever he desires. He is sovereign. He has the authority and the ability we read stories that demonstrate this so clearly to us, how that intermingles with our, our human decisions and our human lives. In Genesis, there's a story about a man named Joseph, and as a younger man, he's given this dream by God. So, so God intervenes in his life, gives him a dream, and he has two dreams where he is like exalted and his whole family is bowing down to him. And uh, because of this, his brothers hate him because he's a favored son, and so they want to kill him. They put him in a, a cistern, and then instead of killing him, they sell him into slavery. Uh, Joseph becomes a member of uh, a man, Potiphar, his house, and there he's given favor, so he becomes the administrator over all of Potiphar's household. Um, but there he's also accused of rape falsely. He ends up in prison. And there um, he is, uh, he's in prison together with a cupbearer of the king. And 
the baker of the king. And as God would move, they would have dreams uh, about their own lives. Joseph interprets those dreams correctly. And so the baker dies, the cupbearer lives, but he forgets Joseph. And so for two years, Joseph is rotting in prison. But at the right time, God gives Pharaoh a dream. And the cupbearer remembers, oh yeah, there's this guy in prison that interpreted my dream. And so Joseph is called before King Pharaoh. He interprets the dream. And in a moment, he goes from like a criminal to second in command over the most powerful nation in the world. Positioned there for a purpose. And as we read on in the story, those brothers who had hated him, who wanted to kill him, come from where they are to Egypt. And and Joseph disguises himself and they meet him. But eventually, because of Joseph being in Egypt, the nation, the called nation of Israel, is saved. And after uh, Joseph's dad dies and and the brothers are there with Joseph and they're all worried, what is Joseph going to do to us now? He tells them, he says, you know, you meant this for evil. But God worked it for good. God is sovereign in our circumstances. Scripture presents God to us as having a plan and purpose for the world, for history, for people, and that distills down even to the individual. We see that in some of the key characters in the Bible. Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations before you were born. David, in in Psalm 139, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, speaking to God, saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. And we see this, is, this, this attention to individuals is true for all believers. We read in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter two, for we, speaking of those who believe in Jesus Christ, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Each individual, you've been, you've been wired and created uniquely by God and he's had works prepared for you to walk into from time past. God is sovereign. He's ruling with plan and purpose over the world, over history, over our lives, over your life. And I hope you can see why this is so beautiful for it to be true. This gives hope to our world. See, God is not a God who is uninvolved in our world. He's not like an absentee parent who leaves his children, goes off and takes an extended holiday. He's not that clockmaker who, who put the clock together, got it going, and then left. No, we're, we're given a picture of God in Scripture that he is fully present, fully involved in our lives, and that gives hope to the world. What that means is the evil and the wickedness that we often see, that is not going to be the end of things. That God will win at the end of the day and the victory that we see prophesied in scripture is going to come to pass because he is able to carry it out. When we read at the end of the Bible, the end of the story in, in this life, the end of the world and we see a new heaven and a new earth being created, God is fully capable of bringing that to pass because of his sovereignty. We can live in confidence of its certainty. The sovereignty of God gives us hope for the world. It also demonstrates our value in the world. He created you for good works prepared ahead of time. 
You are known by God. You are valued by God. You are uniquely purposed by God. Just like Joseph, just like Jeremiah, just like David. He has a plan for you, and his plan is good. One of the verses that we often hear in this regard is in Romans chapter 8, where it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are the called according to his purpose. And a few verses after that, if you ever doubted that God was for you and that he can work all things together for good, we are pointed to the cross. See, if God the Father was willing to give up his own son for us so that we could enter into a loving relationship with him, with him if God loved us that much, how, how would we ever think that he would not be for us? How would we ever think that he would not give us what we need, providing for us, watching over us in his powerful sovereignty? God is sovereign for our good, and this is so good. God's sovereignty should be a cause for us to worship and adore him and, and have great confidence. It is not a subject just to debate about. God is sovereign. I am free. Let's talk about free will. The ability and freedom to make choices. So not externally, externally determined, true, real choices. I am free only if my choices are free. One of, one of the most known verses in Christianity is John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It, it, it seems to be a free offer to whoever we read in, in Paul's letter to, to first, in 1 Timothy, he's talking about salvation. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of our, our God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 4.10, for this is the end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now, as you read these verses, they seem pretty straightforward. God desires everyone to come into a relationship with him, to have salvation where they're made whole in, uh, with God in Jesus Christ. He desires that for all people. And, and all they have to do is choose, whosoever will. And yet in the context of, of Christian faith and the many streams, some ask the question, how free are we actually to make that decision? And what do you mean by free? How God holds his sovereignty in relationship to us, especially uh, in the area of salvation and making our decisions around conversion is where the point of contention happens and then it, get, it gets expanded out as to how we live our lives every day. So the spectrum is this within Christianity, that... <clears throat> There are those who have a relationship with God who are saved only because God has predestined them for that. Only because God has chosen them. On the other spectrum are those who believe it's just a choice. You just make a choice. And somewhere in between are those who believe that God has to act by his grace. And yet it is truly our free choices that respond to God's grace and receive God's salvation. And you, as you extrapolate this out in life, then some believe that every action is predetermined. Whereas other people, every action is simply your choice. I mean, there are influences, there are things going on, but it is truly your choice to make those actions. They are free. So let's dive as a little background into this, into a little simplistic Christian history. For the first 400 years, the, the early church fathers basically were very consistent on what they believed. I quote one of them, Tertullian, who was a prolific author and a very influential Christian leader, he said this. 
I find then that man was by God constituted free, master of his own will and power, indicating the presence of God's image and likeness in him by nothing so well as by this constitution of his nature. You will find that when he sets before man good and evil, life and death, that the entire course of discipline is arranged in precepts by God's calling men from sin and threatening and exhorting them, and in this on no other ground than that man is free with a will either for obedience or resistance. In other words, man has a choice to respond to God, yes or no. It wasn't until late four, uh, the late 4th century, uh, through a man named Augustine, he was the Bishop of Hippo, that this perspective was challenged. And, and really it was only in Augustine's later years, as he was in op, uh, opposing conversations with the man named Pelagius, that Augustine's perception of the, the depravity of man and the depth of his sinfulness, that he came to the conclusion that man was unable to make a decision to respond to God, that ultimately God had to predestine people to believe, otherwise it would never happen. The Christian community didn't necessarily embrace all of Augustine's thought on this, nor Pelagius. Uh, who had an extremely high view of humanity. But 1,100 years later, John Calvin picked up and was greatly influenced by Augustine in his thought. And we get to this. This is attributed to Augustine, or, or to John Calvin. God preordained for his own glory and the display of his attributes of mercy and justice, a part of the human race, without merit of their own, to eternal salvation, and another part in just punishment of their sin, to eternal damnation. In case you didn't get that, let me read what else Calvin wrote in Institutes of Christian Religion. Those, therefore, whom God passes by, he reprobates, and that for no other cause but because he is pleased to exclude them from the inheritance which he predestines to his children. In other words, God is pleased to omit some people who don't come to a living faith relationship with God through Jesus Christ. From there, there is uh, those who his followers would push it further. And so it is, it is today that people see that in all of life, in God's meticulous sovereignty, every action of yours is ordained by God. You are here today because God preordained it. God wanted you to be here this morning, not at the beach, so he preordained it. Your neighbor went to the beach because God preordained that. So you can take that up with God if you have an issue about that. God ordains and makes everything happen. Your choices, uh, the choices of wicked people, a gun massacre, the, the natural disasters that we experience. From this view, everything that happens, God has predetermined and planned. Now, as far as the Anabaptists, that word Anna means re, as far as the rebaptizers, which was a, a group that formed around this time, this was to be rejected. And this is where we have our roots as Mennonite brethren. Um, Henry, Albert Henry Newman in his manual of church history says about the Anabaptists, they were almost without exception opposed to the Augustinian system of doctrine, especially in its Lutheran and Calvinistic forms, insisting upon the freedom of the will and the necessity of good works as the fruit of faith and regarding faith as a great transforming process whereby we are brought not simply to participate in Christ's, Christ's merits, but enter into union 
with him. Fast forward to today, we have Billy Graham, who, who is a man who believed in free will and preached the gospel, inviting everyone who will, come, receive this gift that God has for you. And we've, we have today a resurgence of Calvinism. It's called the New Calvinism or Neo-Calvinism. Lots of mainline books and popular preachers who, who are espousing, again, this kind of meticulous sovereignty. What should you believe? Well, <clears throat> My position, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to state out to you, and, and this comes, uh, I want you to understand, this comes after conversations with so many uh, people and friends who are very much of a different perspective, lots of robust conversation, lots of reading, uh, lots of reading of scripture and looking at this passage and looking at that passage. I can show you notes of mine in one of my uh, notebooks from like for years. I had this section on predestination and free will where I would just, as I read scriptures, just jot, jot them down and, and the, the thoughts that came to my mind as I looked at this. It's been an ongoing going journey for me, and, and I've landed, and I continue to land on this. God is sovereign. I am free. God is sovereign. I am free. It is a dance of the both and. Is that okay to talk about dancing in a Mennonite church? It is a dance. I'd probably get kicked out 30 years ago. It is a dance of the both and. You see, um, I've never been much of a dancer. Um, people would point and laugh typically when I do. But I do understand a little bit about it. I have tried a little bit, especially like um, when your daughter's getting married, you learn to do the, the little waltz or whatever. And I do understand it. it you know, in a waltz, it takes two people uh, to, to dance. It takes two persons. But there is one of those persons is in the lead. One of those is taking the lead. But the other person, what they do is it's not like they have no effect on that relationship. There's two parties involved in the dance. And I believe how, this is how God's sovereignty and our free will work out together. If you recall the kingdom story, this series that we did earlier this year, and as we journeyed through it, right from the beginning, we are shown, I believe, that man was given free will, like true choices, and so God, in creating us, created us in his image with the ability to make choices. That's part of what it means to be created in his image. And he gives man this partnership to rule over the earth under the rule of God, that they were to be sovereign rulers over that earth, under God's sovereignty. They would have the, the authority over the, over the earth. God gives that to them, along with choices to either obey God or to, to disobey God, to have a tree that they were not to eat of, they were given that choice, and of course we know what happens. They choose, and they choose badly, and God, as the infinitely superior lead, responds to the choice that they've made, and their world is changed because of their choices and God's response to their choices. They are removed from the garden. Curses are introduced. Our land, our earth is cursed. Their relationships will be troubled. All of this because of choice and response to choice. As you read on, Scripture portrays a God very quickly who is grieved by the bad choices that human beings are making and responds accordingly. But it also shows us a, a picture of a God who is pleased when his people follow him and listen to him and obey him and live in a relationship of love with him. This is how relationships are designed to work when there is a both end. When I was in Vancouver, we were living there and our kids were quite young. 
unknown to me, they were selling lemonade um, <clears throat> on the street on several occasions. Um, they did this because they wanted to raise some money, not for themselves. They wanted to raise some money so that they could take their dad out on a special dinner for his birthday. And you can imagine on that night when they surprised me and they told me what we were going to be doing and we went to this Chinese buffet restaurant, um, a high-end Chinese buffet restaurant, like with real crab legs. And, and as, I'm, in, as I'm, I'm going through this experience, what am I feeling? Like, what am, what, are, what am I going through? Like, I'm experiencing good food that's great, but I'm overwhelmed by the love, the, res, the, the love that I've experienced from my children. See, I believe this is a picture of, of our relationship to God who is called our Father. We're even told in the New Testament, find out what pleases the Lord and then go and do that. That's what people do in a love relationship with one another. And so God is grieved by humanity's bad choices, pleased by their good. So let me ask you, which view of free will, free will best explains that? God is grieved by bad choices, pleased with the good. Which view of free will best, best explains that? If God is grieved by human choices, he himself has predetermined, to me that, that would be like a person banging their head against the wall and complaining that they have a headache. Romans 8, verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So there are some additional words here in this uh, brief passage of scripture that talks about predestination. It talks about foreknowledge. It talks about how God who predestines us calls us and he justifies us and he glorifies us. But at the very front of this conversation are placed the words, and for those who love God. In fact, it means for those who are loving God, it's a participle in the present tense, for those who are ongoingly loving God. Not that they're earning anything with God, but this is, this is what people who are called by God do. People who are in relationship with God do. They're loving him. And as they're loving him, God responds in his sovereignty that he works all things together for good. It's a reciprocal relationship. And his intent, his intent for that relationship as he works things out together for good is that you would begin to become like Jesus, which was what we were all originally created to be like, to be reflectors of God. So God's determination, his involvement, his working to take you from being called to justified, which, by the way, takes your action of faith to glorification is not independent of what we are and what we are choosing to do it's God working in all those things and in this verse, in loving him. It is a beautiful dance, the both and the end. God is sovereign, I am free. I think the character of God and the story of God demands that we are truly free. It is only under that paradigm, I believe, that love truly exists. Love cannot be coercive. Love can only be a free will response. Judgment and rewards only make sense if we are responsible for our actions and freely choosing. And so the choices that you and I make every day become so meaningful if God is sovereign and we are free.
As you skip into the next chapter of Romans, going into chapter 9, from 9 to 11 is, is quite a discussion of God's choosing and human response. And it has to do with the choosing of Israel and then Gentiles being brought into this equation. And at one point, the author uses Pharaoh as an example that God hardened his heart. And it seems like, well, isn't that the exact opposite thing that God is choosing independently? But if you read the story, Pharaoh is already resisting God. And so God, in his sovereignty, can work with the inclinations of our heart. We can be influenced. We can be acted upon. But we're still responsible for our choices. In Philippians 2, it talks about working out our salvation, that we are responsible as believers and followers of Jesus Christ to work out our salvation. And yet two verses later, it says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, of his good pleasure. It's a both and. God is sovereign. I am free. I praise God for his sovereignty. I had little choice in being born into a North American home. Do you know how fortunate we are to be able to be born in Canada or the United States and not in Syria? I, I feel so privileged under God's sovereignty. I was born into a Christian home. What a privilege to be raised in a home where a mother and father exhibited what it looked like to really model, follow Jesus. I praise God for this grace, this sovereign act of God that I had absolutely no choice over. But within that grace, within that sovereignty, the choices that I make within that, I'm truly responsible for. And they are mine. And I will give an account for them before God. And just as God can work with a person like Pharaoh in his decisions to move away from God, to resist God, so God can work in my life and he can work in your life as you make choices to move towards him, as you make choices to follow him and to love him, he can surely empower and work within you for the good. How beautiful is that? A beautiful dance. God is sovereign. I am free. I want to conclude with just a couple of things. When it comes to this whole conversation, sovereignty and free will, I have, I'm under no illusion that my little talk this morning is going to solve all your thinking and all your issues on this and that you can take some of this and take it to your friends and convince them if they uh, think differently. But what I do want to advocate, as I advocate for this both and, is that we also are people who, in conversation, are very respectful and honoring of one another as we engage in this conversation. I have concern over a type of God that predestines everything, that determines everything, making, it would seem to me, God responsible for some of the wickedness that happens in the world. I, ha I have problems with that view of God. But I still have, have a respect and, and a love for those who, who may espouse to a flavor of that and think differently, but I know love Jesus with all their heart. In the 18th century, there were a, 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 a group of people that worked together that were very prominent in the revival that took place in the 1800s, the Great Awake, or the 1700s, the Great Awakening. The Wesley brothers, Charles and John Wesley, and a man named George Whitfield. They worked together. They saw God do amazingly great things, but they began to, to split apart over this very issue 
Whitfield was a, a, a Calvinist who began to teach and preach predestination. The Wesleys were all about free will and God giving grace so that we freely choose. And at times there was great, uh, there was great difficulty between them. And some of the things they did to each other were not that great. But over time, they, they worked on their relationship and they arrived, arrived at a place of, of respect and honor so that um, Charles Wesley preached at George Whitfield's funeral. They looked at themselves as co-laborers together in God's field. And I think that's the attitude that we need to take in our whole Christian world. Secondly, how God holds his sovereignty will continue to be debated and, and continue to be something that we will probably wrestle with within our own minds. It is not for us to live without the tension, but it is for us to act and live as if both are true. We are to act and live as if both are true. So if you, do you struggle with anxiety this morning? Are, are you a person, you worry a lot about, about things. You are to act and live as if God is sovereign. Can, can, you, can you lift your eyes up over the circumstance and lift it up to a God who has the power, who has the ability, who sees all things, knows all things? Can you lift your eyes up and see his sovereignty and trust and believe in one who works all things together for good. This needs to find its way into our lives that we live today. I love how Pamela talked in the video in her baptism, how having this relationship with God has changed her anxiety and changed how she feels about circumstances. Are you anxious? Look at God's sovereignty. Are you apathetic? Are, are, are you in a place where you're just, ah, oh, ho-hum? Can you see that your choices make a difference? That you can't just wait for God to move upon you and, 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 and wait till you feel a certain way so that you start to serve God? Can you see that the, God is calling us every day to make a choice, to make a decision to follow him? And as we do, he works. His spirit empowers. God comes and works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Can you see how important it is to see that our choices are ours and as we make them, God responds to those choices. God is sovereign, I am free. And lastly, do you pray? I just think prayer exhibits this sovereignty and our freedom so, so clearly. Do you pray? See, if, if I believe that God is sovereign, then I need to pray because he's the one who can move on circumstances. He's the one who can change things. He's the one who ultimately has the power in places where I can't go, in places where I can't be. But right where I am, right here, right now, I can verbalize to God and he hears and in his sovereignty, he can move. He can move in China. He can move in Ottawa. He can move in my family's life that are maybe on the other side of the country. Because I see his sovereign, but it also reminds me of my freedom because I have the choice right now to be a person of prayer or not be a person of prayer. I have the choice whether I can begin to think and open my lips and pray to God. It all works together. God is sovereign I am free. I prayed at the beginning this morning because I believe that by us praying, we give God the opportunity to respond in his sovereignty, to speak his word to us. But that action of prayer, that choice to pray, was a decision that makes a difference. It all works together. A.W. Tozer said, perhaps, uh, he said it best, man's will is free because God is sovereign. A God less than sovereign could not bestow moral freedom upon his creatures. 
he would be afraid to do so. Let me close in prayer. Father, I feel uh, so inadequate to speak on this subject and our time has been so brief, Lord. I want to ask and pray that your Holy Spirit would take what we've talked about, Lord, and take your word and in each of our lives, Lord, would you uh, affirm your truth, Lord. And in that, Lord, affirm your love and stir in with, up within us, Lord, a love for you. May the choices that we make, God, truly bring glory and honor to you. And Lord, as we do, we thank you for your, your sovereign activity in our lives. We thank you for your sovereign activity, Lord, in our world. We thank you for the confidence that we can have, Lord, that you will work all things together for good in our own lives, Lord, and in the world. Ultimately, your plan will not be thwarted because of who you are. And for that, Lord, we worship and praise you. May all of this, Lord, have resulted in us growing deeper in our relationship with you, more loving in our relationship to one another, and in all things that you would be glorified. Amen.